Welcome to the Rehope Podcast. Before we dive into this week's message, we'd like to provide you with some helpful resources. If you'd like someone to pray for you, it would be our joy to connect with you. So please email us at prayer at rehope.co.uk. If you'd like to get connected with an online Bible read-through group from wherever you are in the world, you can email brt at rehope.co.uk and be a part of a small group of people reading through the Bible cover to cover each year. Finally, if you would like to support the work and ministry of Rehope financially, you can do so online at rehope.co.uk slash giving. We pray you find this message encouraging, enlightening, and helpful. Enjoy. Good times. So lovely. Such a treat to see so many guests with us this morning. If this is your first time with us, a special welcome to you. If you are a returning or recurring guest, um, also um, loads of love for you. Um, You're getting in at a great time. Today, we are getting back into our summer mini-series Um, where we are tier listing the judges mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. The writer of the Hebrews didn't have time to write about all these dudes, but we've got time, so we're talking about them. And um, we're looking at their characters and the events of their lives, and we're trying to evaluate, like, which of these things that they did is a good thing or a bad thing? What do I want to learn from from their example so I can emulate? What do I want to learn from from a warning so I can make sure I can avoid that? Here is how our little tier list is shaping up so far. Um, we started off by talking about Gideon and we decided to put him in the B tier. He started off strongly but ended really badly. Uh, but we took from him that choosing faith over fear is a really good idea, but also that being faithful until the end really counts. And last week, we looked at Deborah and Barak, and that order matters. And we put Deborah in the S tier. We put Barak in the A tier. And we learned from them that we shouldn't neglect our responsibilities and that a little bit of accountability goes a long way in our pursuit of obedience. And when we are obedient, um, victory comes through that. Good times. Um, this week, we're going a little bit out of order from the order that um, is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, but we're taking it in like the book of Judges, chronological, chronological order, and we're going to talk about Jephthah. But before we do that, allow me to introduce myself to those of you who I haven't met before. My name is Crixie. I'm the lead pastor here, and it would be a treat for me to bless you. I bless you today in the name of Jesus, to know Jesus even more wonderfully today. I bless you to receive healing in your body, your mind, your emotion, and in your spirit today. I bless you to receive help and guidance from God so that you can flourish no matter what the challenges or circumstances you find yourself in so that you can prevail. And I bless you to know the love and the joy and the hope and the peace of God today. May it be. Cool. Um, So far in our tier listing in the book of Judges, we have seen that there is a little cycle going on, a cycle that goes like this. The people sin, and then God lets the bad guys take over for a while, but then the people cry out to God, and God raises up a judge to rescue them, and then there is peace for a while. But that peace usually only lasts the amount of time that that judge has in his or her lifetime, and then the cycle repeats and repeats and repeats and repeats. And I know I've diagrammed it as a circle up on the screens, but it's more helpful to think of it as like a downward spiral where, yes, the same things happen again and again, but 
each time they happen, they get worse and worse and worse. And by the time we get to Jephthah in chapter 10, um, we can see that things have gotten steadily worse because we get a few more details this time. So the people abandon God and worship the other gods, then the bad guys take over, and then they cried to God for help. So far, so familiar. But then following that, we see something different. When the Lord says to the Israelites, when the Egyptians, Amorites, Ammonites, Philistines, Sidonians, Amalekites, and Maonites oppressed you, and you cried out to me, did I not deliver you? But you've abandoned me and worshiped other gods. Therefore, I will not deliver you again. Go cry out to the gods you've chosen and let them deliver you when you're oppressed. But as the Israelites said, we have sinned against you. So like, deal with us as you see fit, only rescue us today. So they got rid of their foreign gods among them and worshiped the Lord and he became weary of their misery. So just some simple things to take from this so we can get a little bit of context for the events that we're gonna look at today. Like first up, God is patient, but he's not stupid. And he can see the way that this cycle is going and he sees that it's going nowhere. And this cycle needs broken one way or another. And he's like, you know what? Fine, not my way. Like this is your way, not my way. But if you wanna have it this way, fine, you have it that way. Go cry out to those gods and see what they can do for you. Because this thing is not working out. And one way or another, this cycle is gonna get broken but God is going to be vindicated in the end. But a big difference that we see in this is that the people return to God this time before they have been rescued, which is so interesting, interesting. And it feels like they finally learned the lesson because all the time before it's felt like they thought that when the bad guys take over, that's when the problems start. But here it kind of feels like they have figured out that the main problem is that they keep following other gods and not worshiping Yahweh, their, their true God. And anything that comes after that is merely just a consequence of this real problem. But the bad guys have taken over. So it is still a problem. And at this stage, it's probably worthwhile for us thinking about who is this a problem for? And who is this affecting really badly? So actually, like a lot of people, um, the Ammonites are the bad guys. They have invaded, and they have invaded, are you ready for this? The tribes of Gad, Reuben, Manasseh, there we go, on that side of the river, but Manasseh also has got some territory on the west side of the river, and then also Ephraim and Benjamin and Judah. So most people, to be fair, are being affected by what's going on. And from this other little map, we can see that the Ammonites are the bad guys, and they are invading from the east, and that um, they have camped out in Gilead, and Israel has got an army put together, and they're camped out in Mizpah of Gilead, and that's cool. They've got an army, but as of this moment in time, they don't have anybody 
to lead that army. And we are like, hey, wait a minute, hang on. That cycle, though, because isn't God supposed to raise up a judge for them? But this cycle has been broken, and it needed breaking one way or another. And God has pretty much told them that they can take care of things on their own, and it looks like they're going to have to raise a judge for themselves, which is where Jephthah comes into the picture. And the Bible introduces him with a little flashback. So Jephthah's story is like the genre of his story would be tragedy, like it's a tragedy. And it starts off tragic. Even from the first three verses of his story, we can see that it's tragic. Like Jephthah is um, the kid of a leader in Gilead who is identified as Gilead, um, an important person in that region. But Gilead has been diddling around, and Jephthah is a kid born out of wedlock when Gilead slept with a prostitute. So once some legitimate children are born and then grow up, they punt Jephthah and tell him that he is not welcome in their family anymore, and that means no share in the inheritance, that means no family, no land, no honor, no nothing, you are out. So he essentially goes into exile in the land of Tob, which is outside of Israel, never mind their tribal allotment in um, Manasseh. But we do know that, uh, that Jephthah is a valiant warrior, so that's good. But the way that that's working out just now is that he has got his little gang of mercenaries and they go raiding in the mountains together. And Jephthah has had a sad story so far, a tragic one, and it looks like he's, he's a product of um, his difficult circumstances. So we want to have some pity on him. Like, this is a life that, um, yeah, consequences. Maybe there's a lot of it that he didn't choose for himself. Maybe there's a lot of it that he did choose for himself as a consequence of what's happened. So we've got some pity for him, but he still doesn't seem like the most stand-up dude in the world. But they go to him anyway, because they need a commander for their army, and it's all like, oh, hi. <laughs> Remember us? Yeah, yeah, you're right. This is kind of awkward, but um, oh, so we were wondering if you want to come and be the leader of our army, maybe? And Jeff is offended. It's like, first you pump me from the family, and now you want to come back and do your dirty work. He's offended, but eventually they uh, come to an agreement where Jephthah will get to be the leader, like, for the, like, going on from there, as long as he leads the army into battle against the Ammonites, and as long as God hands him the victory. That's the deal. Now, remember, in the other series of events that we have looked at so far, Victory was a direct promise that God had given his people. That is not the case here. God has said, you're on your own on this one. Like, have a good go and we'll see what happens to you. Victory is by no means guaranteed. And they have turned in their, like, completely unknown circumstances to a dude who seems like a bit of a liability. Who knows what's going to go on with him? This is a risky, risky move. And as we look at the narrative, it kind of feels like we're waiting for everything to go spectacularly wrong here. All the signs point to disaster. But as we get into the event, seems like we might not be giving Jephthah enough credit because he seems to want to do the right thing. First up, 
he sends a diplomatic mission to Ammon. And this is the right thing to do. It's what God commanded through the law and through Moses. And maybe we're not expecting like a mercenary guy to have very much diplomatic savvy or to care about the law of Moses that much, but he does what is right. And you've got to say fair play to Jephthah on this one. And the diplomatic mission pretty much goes along the lines of like, dude, what is your beef with us? So let's see what the beef is. The beef is the king of the Ammonites said to Jephthah's messengers, when Israel came from Egypt, they seized my land from the Arnon River to the Jabbok River and to the Jordan. Now restore it peaceably. So all the land is between like these three rivers as far out as where Ammon's territory in the east is. Um, this is the disputed territory, um, and it's um, Gad and it's Reuben, their tribal uh, provisions. You want to play a little game? Be fun. Let's play a little game of spot the difference. So it's going to be challenging. I'm not going to make, oh, it's not going to be challenging. Here, it's up here already. Um, can you spot the difference between the disputed territories in these two maps? It's going to be hard. Yo, one of those maps has got a lot more disputed territory than the other. And the king of Ammon is like, you took Reuben and Gad away from me, and I'm going to respond to that by invading your whole stinking country. What do you think about that? Trust me, Jephthah doesn't think very much about that at all. Plus, the king of Ammon's beef, like his reasons for invading, not even grounded in fact, and Jephthah's having none of that either, so he sends diplomatic mission round two. Get this for diplomacy. Jephthah again sends mission, uh, messengers to the king of the Ammonites to tell him. This is what Jephthah says. Israel did not take away the land of Moab or the land of the Ammonites, but when they came from Egypt... Israel traveled through the wilderness to the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom saying, please let us travel through your land. But the king of Edom would not listen. They also sent messengers to the king of Moab, but he refused. So Israel stayed in Kadesh. And then they traveled through the wilderness around the lands of Edom and Moab. They came to the east side of the land of Moab and camped on the other side of the Arnon, but did not enter into the territory of Moab, for the Arnon was the boundary of Moab. And then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, king of Heshbon. Israel said to him, please let us travel through your country, but Sihon would not trust Israel to pass through his territory. Instead, Sihon gathered all his troops camped at Jahaz and fought with Israel. Then the Lord God of Israel handed over Sihon and his troops to Israel and they defeated them. So Israel took the possession of the entire land of the Amorites. Not you, Ammonites. Amorites who lived in that country, they took possession of all the territory of the Amorites who lived in the Arnon to the Jabbok and the wilderness to the Jordan. And the Lord God of Israel has driven out the Amorites before his people Israel. And will you now force us out? Isn't it true that you can have whatever your God Shemosh conquers for you and we can have whatever the Lord our God conquers for us? Now you any better than Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever contend with Israel or fight against us? And while Israel lived three hung the red years. 
in Heshbon and Arawar and their surrounding villages and in the cities that are on the banks of the Arnon. Why didn't you take him back in those times? I've not sinned against you, but you're doing me wrong by fighting against me. Let the Lord who is the judge decide today between the Israelites and the Ammonites. But the king of the Ammonites would not listen to Jephthah's message that he sent him. But we're listening and we're like, yo, Jephthah, get him, tell him. Jeff is going to tell him, he's going to tell him, yo, you're wrong. That's not the way that happened at all. We didn't take anything that didn't belong to us. We were respectful. We tried to make a deal, and there was no deal to be done. We went the long way around. We didn't touch anything that belonged to anyone, nothing that belonged to you. And okay, we took this disputed territory that's now Reuben and Gad, but we took that for the Amorites, and the Amorites are not you, and we didn't take it from you, and it wasn't yours, and now we've got it. And can you, can you just maybe please kindly back off? Diplomacy, ladies and gentlemen. And Jephthah does do what is right by doing a diplomatic thing first. He knows his history. He respects his history. He's like, we listened to God back then and God did good by us back then. And we've done nothing wrong against you now. And maybe Jephthah is not the dude that we're expecting this from, but he kind of does want to seem to do what is right. So great. And maybe this is a bit of a low bar takeaway for Jephthah's example in these events, but let's like at least attempt to do what is right. Like sometimes when it comes to obedience, we can feel like it's only a matter of time before we end up doing what is wrong. And sometimes we can let a defeatist attitude trick us into thinking that sin is just an inevitability, so why even bother trying to not do it? But let's at least try. Because we might not get things right all the time. But we know for a fact that when we resist the devil, he flees from us. So attempting to do what is right is going to go a lot further in the fight for and pursuit of obedience and holiness than maybe we think in the moment. Let's at least try to do what is right. Friends, I hate a scary movie. especially hate the jump scares. And we know how a jump scare goes, do you know? Like you kind of like feel the tension building up and you just know and you just know and you just know that something is going to happen and the music is starting going and it's all like, ah, dissonance and it's all like reaches a crescendo and then nothing. Just for a moment, we let our guard down and then bang, it hits you. I was going to shout that, but there's sleeping uh, lovely little ones in the room. So you're welcome. <laughs> I hate a jump scare. And Jephthah feels like he's going to be a jump scare, doesn't he? Like you're waiting for something bad to happen. And then it looks like it's just not going to happen. Everything's going to be fine and right when you let your guard down. And when reading in this narrative, Jephthah makes this dumb vow um, where um, he vows uh, to sacrifice to the Lord. And you think that sounds kind of good until you read what it actually says. And Jephthah's whole story is a tragedy. And like this part even more so. And look, Jephthah asked God for help. And they made a deal. And God did help. And he held up his side of the deal. And now it's time for Jephthah to hold up his side of the deal. Bible tells us, Spirit of God came to Jephthah. And Jephthah won the battle. He defeated the enemy. So yay. But he's made this dumb vow. And he's going to sacrifice. And it's his daughter who comes out the door to meet him, his only daughter, his only child. It's brutal, and he's crushed by it. Of course he is. 
And I think when I have been reading this story before that maybe my um, little heart or my little brain, one of the two, has been trying to protect me from how crazy this story is, that um, every time I've read it, I have like received um, whatever comes out my doors, and I will offer that thing. But he says whoever, and he says that person. And Jephthah knows that it's going to be a person. He is completely planning to sacrifice a person to Yahweh, the God of the Bible. That's 100% his intentions. And he's crushed that it's going to be his daughter. I don't know what he's expecting. Maybe some like chump servant that he doesn't care about or something. I don't know. But it's his daughter. And he's crushed. So what's he supposed to do here? Maybe it feels pretty obvious, but what's he supposed to do? Because A, no one among you is to sacrifice his son or daughter in the fire, and everyone who does these acts is detestable to the Lord, says the Lord. So you can't do that thing. But also B, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to keep it. He will require it of you. Be careful to do whatever comes from your lips because you have freely vowed to what you promised to the Lord your God. So you have to do that thing. You can't do it and you have to do it. What's a dude supposed to do? The thing is he's trying to do, all along he's been trying to do what is right. He's asked for God's help and he got it. So he wants to worship and he wants to thank God. But things have gotten so bad up in Israel that they don't know how to worship God or honor God even when they try. He's trying to please God by doing something that God says is detestable to God. Now look, far be it from me to say that this one command of God is more important than any other, but I think if I were him, I would probably have tried saying, hey God, um, sorry I didn't keep my vow and didn't hold up my end of the deal that we made. Um, I hope you can forgive me for that. I just didn't think that you would want me to do that anyway. But he's taking it seriously and he held up his side of the bargain and um, he killed his daughter and he burned her. And this story, it's tragic. It's not right. He does it anyway. Wild. We've talked a lot about vows and blessings and curses and things like that in the last little while. So I'm not going to go over that again, but I think a pretty good lesson from us to come out of this is the reminder that like, let's just be careful with what we say because words have more power than we think. So the cycle is kind of continuing here in the book of Judges again. Yes, the people sin. Yes, the bad guys take over for a bit. Yes, the people cried out, but this time it gets broken. Um, God told them they were on their own and they raised up a judge for themselves with mixed uh, results, to be fair. But we saw that God did help Jephthah. And does that mean that there's going to be peace for a while during Jephthah's lifetime? Whew, if only. If only, friends. Look, and things got heavy there for a moment with the old child sacrifice and all that. So let's quickly move on and talk about something a little bit lighter, like civil war. <laughs> Maybe a little bit lighter, relatively speaking, but this civil war gets a whole lot more 
petty than the civil war that you might be imagining right now. Not known for the pettiness civil wars, but this one is. Because the dudes from Ephraim are at it again. And just like they did to Gideon, they're all up in Jephthah's face and giving all that, hey, why didn't you come and ask us to go to battle with you? We were like totally ready to go to battle. And they're all mad about it. And they come at Jephthah and they come at him hard. And they're all like talking down about him, talking bad about him, that like just because he's from the tribe of Manasseh and he's like, yo, you guys are just like second class citizens from Ephraim. And the history reminder in this is that there are 12 tribes of Israel and those tribes are named after the 12 sons of Israel and that's that's Jacob but there's no tribe of Joseph instead Joseph's descendants get split up into two half tribes Manasseh where um, where Jephthah is from and Ephraim where these like beefy guys are from and there's a close tie between those two groups of people you know how it goes sometimes brothers fight like you know how it goes sometimes sisters fight and that's just the way it is and maybe sometimes when it's your brother or your sister and you're close to them um, maybe you just tend to do a little bit less diplomacy there anyway there's no diplomacy this time just civil war And Jephthah is no mug. This is not his first rodeo, and he wins that war. Yay? Civil War, yay. And it got petty, but it's about to get even pettier um, because the Gilead dudes, um, Jephthah and his pals, win, and they start blockading the river, um, and they start being the oppressors themselves. And when someone is trying to escape from Ephraim to Manasseh, and it must be pretty bad up in Ephraim for you want to escape to where the enemy is from, but if somebody is trying to escape from Ephraim to Manasseh and the lads from Gilead are there, they've got a little test to see if you are one of those um, dirty Ephraims, and they ask you to say Shibboleth. And if you say Sibboleth, they'll know you're from Ephraim because the people from Ephraim couldn't say Shibboleth, they say Sibboleth. And this is very, very petty. If you've got the wrong accent, we are going to kill you. Now normally um, accents get affected by someone who pronounces, or like how someone pronounces their vowel sounds, or as we say, our vowel sounds. But sometimes they also affect our consonants. And I've started doing this really dumb, annoying thing, which I love, um, where I voice unvoiced consonants and unvoice voiced consonants just to be silly. So a bunch of times, consonants come in pairs, and the only difference is whether you voice them or not. Like, think of the difference between the sound at the end of the word breath and at the end of the word breathe. So your teeth and your lips and your tongue are in the the same position with as they are with but the only difference there is how you voice that consonant. And lots of consonants come in pairs like that. And friends, it is really, 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 really dorky and dumb and fun to just switch them over sometimes. I've even started spelling like this because this is the kind of dork that I am. Um, On Wednesday morning, I sent Jamie a text and it only had two words, and those two words were govies ub. And Jamie has got a very specific set of skills, and she has the life skills of being used to me being dumb, and she's got the professional skills as a speech and language therapist to look at those graphemes and like figure out what phonemes I have switched out for so she can translate that text to coffees up. 
and her coffee is ready, and then she's able to respond appropriately. <laughs> Consonants are fun, friends, really fun. And people from Northern Ireland have got a complex relationship with consonants. Um, consonants are optional in Northern Ireland, aren't they? Put them in if you want, leave them out if you want, it doesn't matter. They're optional or just mere suggestions. Whatever you want to do is fine. And in Northern Ireland, we often swap voiced and unvoiced consonants just when we speak. In Northern Ireland, we don't say, I got caught out in the rain and now I'm soaking. And we say, I'm mad soaking wet. And we swap out that K for a G. We just do. In Northern Ireland, we don't say, that's silly, you should have brought a jacket. We say, your brain's rotten, we man, it rains every day. And we swap those Bs out for Fs. Why not? Just do whatever you want. Accents can affect your vowels, they can also affect your consonants, and accents are a dead giveaway as to where someone is from, and in this case, accents are a dead giveaway as to whether someone deserves to live or die. Petty. But we live in Glasgow, friends. We know all about those petty internal conflicts up in here. And of course, of course, of course, I am talking about that age-old internal Glaswegian conflict, West End or South Side. <laughs> I live in the West End, don't tell anyone around here, but I work <laughs> But I work in the South Side, so I'm trying to be a neutral party in this age-old conflict, which isn't always easy. I had to listen to these wifeys and their awful, like, sectarian anti-South Side patter on the train this week, and it drove me crazy, but I'm trying to be neutral. But this is like you're standing at the entrance of the Clyde Tunnel and there's people coming through that tunnel and you need to know whether they are some of those West Endies. And you're like, who oh, are you from the West End? And they're all like, no, no, not me, not me. I'm not from the West End. <laughs> and you're like, okay then. Why don't you, for me, name a greengrocer and flower shop. And if they say stalks and stems, they get to live. And if they say roots and fruits, kill them. <laughs> I mean, why can't we just all say locavore and we can all get along? Locavore, the partic thistle of bougie greengrocers. <laughs> oh, that age-old internal petty Glaswegian conflict. How could I forget about that one? Civil war is the legacy that Jephthah leaves for peace in the country for a while. And he only judged his lifetime for six years? That doesn't say very much. Not an amazing legacy. And his story is a tragedy. Starts off tragic, it middles out tragic, and it ends up tragic. And it's such a tragic story that I kind of feel bad for tearless than a dude but I think he belongs with Gideon in the B tier. Like some good stuff, but it was pretty rough along the way. And I mean, I'm basing that off him, like trying to do what was right and getting it right sometimes, but also doing some awful, and using the Bible's word, using God's word, detestable things, and then not bringing peace. But still, Jephthah ends up on the Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, Hall of Fame list, 
which seems kind of crazy, doesn't it? But like, he does. And that brings us back to something that we talked about in the first part of this series, and that's that according to the writer of the Hebrews, according to the Bible, your sins do not define you, your faith defines you. And the writer of the Hebrews always sees the people, like in the list as a whole, and in these dudes tagged on at the end, he sees, like they see them always in a positive light. The writer doesn't mention their failures, even if their failures are many, and even if their failures are massive. So in light of the writer of the Hebrews, positive example, like what can we say about Jephthah? Well, maybe we could say something like, by faith, Jephthah remembered the mighty works of the Lord from Israel's past and fought to defend the people. By faith, he defeated the Ammonites to rescue the people from oppression and give them security in the land that the Lord had given them as an inheritance. Or something like that. Like maybe you could come up with something that is even more fun. And since the writer of the Hebrews keeps things positive, I'd like to end on a positive note from Jephthah's life, and that's that it is good to remember the good that God has done. And Jephthah's high point is definitely when he takes the king of Ammon to school on their, on their country's shared history. And through remembering what God did in the past, Jephthah looked forward in faith to how God was going to protect that in Jephthah's like immediate future. And we like to take time to remember and celebrate the good things that God does around here. And actually this came up um, in one of our groups at our prayer meeting before our services. This came up that God wants to highlight today. It's on his heart for us here today to take stock and remember the good things that he does for us. And one way that we do that is with share time. And I love share time, but I would hate it if things got shared and then just kind of like moved on from and forgotten. So I've got a little challenge for you this week. And that challenge is to contribute a story to 40 Days of Answered Prayer. So reflect on your year since about this time last year and think about the prayers that God has answered. And if you journal what you pray about, you're at a distinct advantage here. But if not, like just have a think about it and see uh, what God brings to mind. And honestly, thinking about it is like half the job. Like once you've remembered the prayer that he's answered, the story just writes itself. And then you can visit rehope.co.uk forward slash 40 days, scroll to the bottom, there's a button that says contribute and you can click on it and a little form will pop up and you can type your story in there. There's also an example to read so that you can get a vibe for what sort of thing we're looking for. And the sort of thing we're looking for is that we love the God moved heaven and earth for me stories. And we also equally love the God sees me in my everyday normal stories and everything in between. All those kinds of stories are going to be a blessing to read and encouragement to read and really do good for our church community. The example that is there uh, is about God providing a job for someone. And since like half of you here have been provided with new jobs this year, I'm expecting all of the stories from my dudes. Um, try and keep it to about 400-ish words, 400 to 500, and that's shorter than you think. I submitted my story this week, and I typed what I thought would be about 400 words, and then I copied and pasted it into a document to do a word count, and it was 750. He likes to talk quite a lot. <laughs> Who noticed? I edited it, 
Um, it's shorter than you think, but you know, concise is clearer, and clearer is kinder, and kinder is more helpful, so that's good. And 40 Days of Answer Prayer starts on August 21st. Please don't wait until August 20th to submit your story. Like, why not just do it today, and then it's done? And if you think of another one, psh, submit too, because 40 Days of Answered Prayer starts on the 21st of August and runs for 40 days. But if we get more than 40 stories, I'm sure we would be delighted to keep the party going. And our share time is class up in here, and I'm really excited about the opportunity um, to like, invite other people in to celebrate the things that we've got to celebrate together in the last year. And um, for people in other rehope locations and maybe even further afield um, to have their faith built, as I'm sure their stories will also build ours. I'm really, really, really excited for this. Um, don't snooze on it. It's really fun, really fun to do. Um, if there's a challenge for you that you think this, I don't always do the challenges. I know you always do the challenges. But if you're someone who maybe doesn't always do the challenges, this is the one for you. This is the one for you. Why not do it today? It's probably going to be raining anyway. Fun. Um, we are going to be moving into a time of response in just a moment. Um, but um, I would love to pray for us first. And God, thank you for Jephthah's life. And um, like, I kind of feel like he was a dude who tried to do the best with um, what looks like, like a pretty difficult hand that was dealt to him. And uh, God, I pray um, for us as we sometimes find ourselves in, in that position. Help us to do what is right. Help us to at least give like all of our heart to like trying and driving and desiring to do what is right, God, and I pray that as we do that, as we move towards you, you'll reveal yourself to us more, we'll know you more, so we'll know the things that you want us to do, so we can step with you in that. You're good, you're the God who doesn't keep himself a secret. Pray that as we deepen our connections with you, as we know you more, we'll be able to walk in obedience more, and then you'll be glorified more, and then we'll be like fulfilled in our purpose on this life. God, come and move in our hearts. Amen.